Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And good morning. This is Greg Hutchins. Well, you know, Greg, you know, when I went to start recording this, I said, wait a second, where's that button? <laughs> where's the call recorder? <laughs> and moment of panic. Do you remember what we were going to talk about? Because I jumped through hoops here just to get this thing working, and I it looks like it's working. So I'm the hero today. Oh, yeah, that's what we we're talking about. <laughs> we're going to talk about the hero syndrome, or what I would call the hero scapegoat <laughs> fallacy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's... It's one of the for, and I'm sure our listeners are you know picked up on this, but just to be cover all our bases, the idea is that you is the, there's a dilemma. If the team does a really good job, the product launches on time and it goes to the market and it just works and customers are happy and your sales are on target, everything is as expected, hitting targets, hitting goals, doing better than you expected sometimes, and it's like get back to work, let's get another one out. You know, it's, it's like all right. That was good. And you get an attaboy, maybe, and you move on. On the other hand, if that very same team releases a product and two weeks later there's this major field escalation, this big problem, and all hands on deck, and you know, two of the engineers work all night and they come up with a solution, they're called out as heroes, they get the parking spot in front of the deal, they get monthly recognition as the employee of the month, they, you know, are fast-tracked for promotion, they stepped up and solved the problem. Well, years ago, Greg, I was working with a team, and I said, um, well, didn't you guys know about this problem where you shipped it? And he says, yeah. I, and it was the same guy that ended up being the hero. He said, yeah, I couldn't convince anybody to solve it, so I just I gave up and let it go. And when the problem came up, I knew exactly what it was, and I knew how to solve it, so... I looked like a hero. So he said, I guess I should just not worry about reporting problems or fixing things until it, until it's worth it. After Then you get, you're called a hero and you get all these perks. Like, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, and he kind of agreed, but it's, he says, that's the way this system works. <laughs> just doing what I'm told kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I've been on both sides. Hero and the scapegoat. And I'll tell you, uh, in terms of uh, uh, anxiety, in terms of blood pressure, I'd rather be the hero. Unfortunately, I've been the scapegoat a lot of times. Well, what do you mean by scapegoat? Is, Is that you're blamed for a problem that occurs? So I spent a long time of my career running jobs, construction jobs, special projects. So my title was special, special projects engineer, special projects manager. And for a long time, that was a real perk in the company. You got all the hot jobs. You got all the resources, you know, and you were the special person that, in my case, me, that was put in the, in the breach to take care of things. So mm-hmm. I was a hero a lot of the time until things didn't work, <laughs> meaning <laughs> Um, took care of something. Uh, why? Um, something didn't work. There was a recall. We were over budget on a project. We were in coming in on time. 
decisions had to be made, you know, whatever the thing, I was the person, I was the guy. But eventually things didn't work. Um, couldn't make the schedule for a lot of reasons, couldn't make the budget, lots of reasons, but they had to find a person <laughs> to blame. And we call it the scapegoat in yeah. many cases. Okay, that's what you mean, okay. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I, um, I don't know, do you remember the book um, In Search of Excellence? I think Tom Peters. Tom Peters, yeah. And I think it was in that book, if I remember right. It was one of those concepts that if you do five things right, it can be, you know, you did five projects in your circ- the way you described that old job, right? You did five great projects and they all went well, everybody's happy. And you do one project wrong and you're fired and you're in the doghouse. You're the scapegoat. You're in trouble. Yep. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, so what are we reinforcing? And, and the basic idea he was getting at is if you only punish poor performance and you, and you don't do what Deming always talked about is it's not the employee, it's the system you built around them that, you know, like if you're over budget as well, you got unrealistic budget constraints. Yep. You can't get there from here, you know, and, and that's not an excuse, make it happen. And it's, you know, Deming in the red bead experiment. Well, what's wrong <laughs> with you? How come you're getting all these red ones in there? And it's just a random scoop through a mixed bag of beans, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. And the idea of that blame mentality is pretty destructive overall for an organization. And what Tom was talking about is, well, why don't you celebrate this, you know, make, make the person that is celebrated and gets the good parking spots and all the other good stuff is the one that actually did the right job at the start. They did what they're supposed to do, or they went over and above and they actually convinced you that you know, this budget's not realistic or, Hey, this fault is in here. It will show up later. We got to fix it. Um, the ones that were successful at making those improvements or changes and doing the right thing, if we celebrate that, maybe we'll get more people that want to do it the right way. And we avoid the recall <laughs> altogether. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you know, it's that Japanese expression. Uh, if a nail basically protrudes, what are you going to do? Hammer it down. Yep. Um, you know, in the U.S., we got this wrong. Maybe it's I don't know if it's wrong, but we've got this philosophy of exception management. And we even got it in quality. Yeah, you know, that's true. If that's we true. got SPC and something goes out of whack, if we've got seven uh, consecutive things above the <laughs> above the mean, right? Yeah, we got, and we pay attention to it. Yeah. Pay attention to it. I mean, that's, you know, in quality and reliability. And it's the same thing in reliability. If uh, we see something unusual, what do we do? We basically give it more attention. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's the same thing with the hero scapegoat type of thing. Um, too many times, and I, you know, I've <laughs> this is what I did for most of my career was run special jobs. Um, most projects fail. You know, there was a study done a bunch of years ago that said seventy percent of projects don't meet their targets, whether they're schedule, cost, quality, scope, or delivery. Mm-hmm. They miss their targets. Yep. So what happens is <laughs> whoever's brought in to parachute in, right, to fix the problem, um, you know, quite often is the system and you can change the system. 
Why? Because it's enveloping all of us, right? You, you know, you know, when you try to fix a problem, what's the normal thing we do? We focus on the, you know, the the one element, the one aspect that we can control. But what happens if there is things beyond our control, right? The context, mm-hmm. we can't fix that, right? Well, yeah. That's where I have to disagree. And, and it's one of those, and this is a little bit off topic of this thing, but it was, so I was a manufacturing engineer uh, and, and working with the design team to in the development process so that whatever they design we could build and vice versa so i always always providing bad news to both sides of the organization is you won't believe what the designer wants to do we're going to have to do this this and this and well that's not possible blah 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 our scrap rate would go away and then on the other side i'd go back to the design teams this is all our equipment can do you got to change that and oh you guys are crazy you're constricting my creativity blah 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 (laughs) we just want to make a product here guys come on uh what i found was that when I talked about reliability improvements, both sides could agree. And so I had a, a leverage there. One of the things, though, that was completely outside of my role was that one of the things that the design team really valued is that if we could turn around the uh, prototypes, we, we, we would do like six different rounds of building prototypes uh, of this product during the development process when we're doing a a new platform. So it was pretty extensive and pretty expensive too. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so we would go to these overnight uh, vendors that could create circuit boards in 12 hours. And we could, you know, we had our production line all set up to, to Mm -hmm. build the boards immediately. And, and it turned out that it would typically take us seven to 10 days from the time the design team said, all right, we want to build this one to when we actually built it. And the guy I was working with was like, well, that's seven days of dead time. You know, I've got a design. There's stuff I can do. I can do my notes and a bunch of other stuff, but it's really non-productive time until I get the board back and I can start evaluating whether it works or not and do the tests that confirm my circuit is right, my design is right. And I was having a hard time getting them to you know, make changes that would improve our ability to manufacture it or improve its reliability. And I I said, all right, well, what if I can help you get the boards faster? Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how to do it, right? So I used the tool out of the quality handbook or the quality book that's a a value chain or what is it, a value map or something like that. So we on, on one act, the vertical axis, we had information and, uh, you know, decision points and logistics. And there was a handful of different parts of the organization that were all involved with collecting all this stuff all in one place at the right time so we could make the circuit board. And it turned out it was a very, very simple fix once you looked at that whole process. And so he's, myself and a handful of other people had this huge table and we laid out all of the steps it took to go from, we want to build a prototype to the, the prototypes are delivered. It was every mm-hmm. step in that process. And all the people that were involved and all the approvals that were involved, all, where the money was spent and you know, all these steps and, and lead times for all these materials and all the other stuff. Well, it turns out vast majority of the time, we were waiting on like one or two parts and it was usually not the expensive ones because the big ICs and stuff, we had long lead times for those. So those would get decided on early and they were in house. We had those. 
It was mm-hmm. usually like a little cheap capacitor. Do we want a a uh, hundred puff or do we want two fifty puff or something like that? And they wouldn't buy it until the design was finalized. Well, the design engineer was trying to tune in in doing simulations on all these calculations to figure out well what capacitance do I really need? And knowing that those were short lead time, relatively short lead time, um, left those decisions to last. And so I looked at it and I went to the program manager, somebody like you, and said, well, how much does one day of this lab cost if we aren't, if we, if we don't have a prototype and, and our design teams really can't make progress until they have them, how much does it cost to run this lab for a day, all these engineers. And he's like, roughly a million dollars a day. <laughs> and I said, hmm, if I buy a reel of two different kinds of capacitors for $50, <laughs> you know, $500 or whatever it was, that seems like insignificant to the benefit that we would get by saving a week, by saving five days off of this uh, time to make these prototypes. And he goes, yeah, that makes sense. I'll sign off on that. And I thought I was done, right? I, and then we had to go convince the people that actually do the buying because they had directions, don't buy stuff we don't use. Mentor, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so we changed the policy and got the approvals and, and ran it through. And we went from a seven to 10 day turnaround to a two or three day turnaround. Did I get a percentage of that benefit? Did I get congratulations or anything else? No, but that electrical engineer I was working with started to implement some of my reliability suggestions and improving the ability to, to make the product. So it, it, I won <laughs> by <laughs> to get what I wanted. I had to go do something else. But I, I, in hindsight, I wish I would have got the new parking spot for you know saving the company you know tens of millions of dollars every time we go through those prototype cycles. But nah. And that's systemic, right? If you do a good job, well, you're supposed to do a good job. And it's, so what do you do to break that? What And, and so part of it is just go do good stuff and hopefully it comes, the good karma comes back to you. Yet, if you're a manager, if you're an engineer in an organization and you want to reinforce good stuff, like a design engineer actually paying attention to reliability in my case, how do you recognize that and reward that when you can't promote them, you can't give them a pay raise, you know, that kind of stuff? What do you do? That's a tough, well, first of all, that's a great story. And I think, you know, that my takeaway from the story is you saw a problem and what you did is you understood the larger context to the problem and realized that the system was the solution. Not really. The <laughs> well, I could have yelled at the procurement guys. Says, Damn it, just go buy this stuff. It's an order. And it wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so how do you basically break out of it? Basically, you know, being on both sides, the hero and the scapegoat, I'll say one thing. Being the hero is always great. But eventually in a company, and this happened to me a lot of times, uh, after I've been burned, once, twice, maybe not not three times, but at least twice. I just keep my head down. Yeah, you become more conscious, conch, or cautious, I should say, wary of taking risks. Risk averse. Uh, I don't want to basically be the exposed nail, right, to get hammered down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. And eventually, I just you know to get along, I play along, and you know I don't cause commotion. Um, I think that the people who are very smart 
are becoming, not only are they situationally aware, but they understand the rhythm of the organization, the rhythm of the system. And they position themselves so they can have the maximum impact at the right times. Now, unfortunately, I'm an engineer. <laughs> I went into engineering because I love to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And even though I've been in consulting about 30 years, understanding the rhythms of the organization, the project, um, is very, very difficult. Because again, I was brought up as a death march manager, so to speak, right? Get her done, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. Just keep, you know, work, work, work. And it, yeah, it was, it's a damning one. You, you just don't put up banners saying work harder. <laughs> that's right, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's really exactly. not going to be useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, nowadays there's a different rhythm in an organization. Uh, a lot of projects aren't done on time, on budget, or, you know, within scope. And there's more flexibility. So what's the solution? I think the solution is uh, take a step back, take a deep breath, uh, understand your contribution, do the best you can, but understand there are things beyond your control. Almost the serenity prayer, right? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, that's true. I mean, there's a there's a role for that. Yeah, it's it doesn't <laughs> it, it it then it's you can control what you can control. I don't disagree with that. Yes. Yet what I find is that if you're in the organization where you don't where you're the if you raise your hand and say hey this has got to change or this should change or this is causing a problem it's a whole lot more difficult to do that even though it would prevent say a recall as opposed to the person that steps up during the recall and says oh i know how to fix that and they go fix it it that dilemma to me is the hard part and yet it's I've, I have, in my own career, I've recognized that it's difficult to catch people doing the right thing. It's hard to see. It's not in the news. It's not going to make the, you know, evening news, you know, film at 11 kind of stuff just doesn't happen when somebody does what they're supposed to do and, and does it well. And it was one of the, one of the things I ran into in Tom Peter's book was you need to, he said, make a little, uh, um, slip a paper that has congratulations on it, make five of those <laughs> and make one of them that says, Oh, you know, opportunity to improve or whatever your language is. I used oops, <laughs> you know, here's, we got to learn on this. And he said, you need to do a five to one ratio, go find five people, you know, in your, your daily walk around. Remember the management by walking around kind yep, of idea. Yep. You got to know what your people are doing. You got to know what your peers are doing. So when I was working as, you know, in reliability work with organizations and somebody is saying, oh, I'm, you know, doing this analysis and they're doing it well and they're asking the right questions, you pull out one of these slips and congratulations, here's the date. I'm going to recognize you that you're actually doing, formally, I'm just, it's like the pat on the back, but a, a tangible thing that says, on this date, you did this well, thank you. You know, that's the, what we're trying to reinforce. And then the opposite side, you catch somebody cutting corners or in my case, using MTBF, then you say, whoops, no, we got to adjust this, make an improvement. And over a span of a, a, a year in the one organization I was doing this, and it, everybody remembered every slip of paper they got and they had them in their wallets or on their, in their purse. And, and when I was leaving the, the project and, and they all, I said, did I ever give you one of those little congratulations things? You gave me three. And I remember each occasion. 
And it is amazingly powerful. And it wasn't hard to do. And that was just one of the many suggestions that Peter's had. Yet it has to take somebody that will take the effort to go go find somebody doing something right and not ignore it. And I don't know why that is so difficult for organizations to get. And I think it goes back to your talking about, Greg, is we manage by exceptions. And unfortunately, doing what you're supposed to do is not considered an exception. Yeah. So I, I remember reading uh, In Search of Excellence, too, and the MBWA, mm-hmm. Management by Walking Around, really impacted me because I was in my early 30s running my first big job. And I would basically, you know, uh, walk around again. This, this, these were big construction jobs. I'd walk around to the welders and the pipe fitters and, and give them an attaboy. You know, I say an attaboy largely because they were all men at that time. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's a conscious effort to recognize somebody that they're doing well. Which so many employees never hear. They go to their performance review and they're criticized for the... So like in an airlines, I, I saw this gate agent just getting berated by this passenger. It just irate. And she handled it very, very professionally. And so I walk up and I gave her one of those, you know, congratulations slip. And I says, you know, I know that was difficult. That was difficult to watch. You handled it very well. Is there some place where I could send your your you know, superiors or boss or whoever a note saying how well you did. And she thanked me and gave me, you know, one of these critique cards. She goes, this is the first one I've handed out where somebody wanted to say I did a good job. And it's like, I've handed out a hundred of these to people complaining, but never to somebody saying that I did. And she was almost in tears. It's just how powerful that is. Uh, I had a problem with LinkedIn last week. Um, and some guy from India, whose name is H-A-R-S-H-I-T, and again, no pun intended, mm-hmm. you know, I paid a lot of respect. He solved my problem. I gave him a great, two great reviews mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. Um, what I did with people in the crafts, meaning people who are welding 304 stainless, mm-hmm. is I would recognize them by... Uh, uh, you know, saying, hey, nice speed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and essentially everything would be 100 percent NDT, non-destructive testing. You right. know, so there was you know, these were very critical welds. Also, they were paid three times as much as I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they were skilled workers. You're just a project manager. <laughs> uh, they were very expensive craftspeople. But what they were doing was almost an art form. And I would basically spend a lot of time uh, not critiquing not you know just observing their craft it was almost like an artist yeah and that's how they got appreciated you know paying a lot of attention to what they were doing and appreciating it because yeah. i knew already you know from the weld that that would pass the yeah. inspection level but it's one of those things that it costs you a few minutes in time and instead of standing there going oh you missed a spot <laughs> you know it's it's yeah, it's unfortunately, it's rare. And we end up with the hero syndrome where people swoop in at the last minute solving a problem they could have avoided if they were encouraged to do so um, or appreciated if they did so. And it it can create a vicious cycle where you get the very cautious, take no risk kind of approach to all kinds of things, only do what I'm told, cover my ass, all that kind of stuff. 
and and it really stifles an organization for making really any progress and, and making improvements. And it, there's many techniques. We only breached a couple of them, but it, it really is where you focus, where you pay attention to providing feedback. In many cases, not every case. Um, but anyway, it's it's an interesting dilemma. It applies broadly across engineering for sure, and I, I know it does in reliability which the feedback mechanism and reliability is way too long oftentimes. So if somebody's doing a good job of trading off all the parameters and getting a solid, robust design the first time, they don't really know until it gets to the field two years from now kind of thing. So it's that's where paying attention and recognizing good processes, good behavior, good approaches really pays off. So. Yeah. And by the way, it applies to parenting as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't take our advice on parenting. Is, you know, your mileage may vary. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, if you're listening to this and, and you've experienced this hero uh, syndrome or, or scapegoat approach and all that other stuff, and, and if you recognize those the hurdles of that, and hopefully some of you, I'm sure many of in this audience has recognized this, and what steps have you taken to break that down and to change the culture so that it, folks are compelled or encouraged or, or uh, uh, supported as they do their jobs really well. And, and have you noticed the difference? I'd love to hear those stories. Any questions about it that we, you know, always turns into fodder for future episodes. So we'd love to hear from you. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. You can find a couple of ways to get a hold of us. Greg and I are both available through LinkedIn as well as the other hosts of the show uh, on LinkedIn and on our about pages at Ascendo. So we certainly do look forward to hearing from you about this topic or whatever's on your mind. And, uh, you, you know, the show covers a broad range of things. We'd love to hear from you. And more importantly, Greg would like to learn from you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can teach him by this old dog new tricks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, same here. All right. Thanks, Greg. Good point. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.